Welcome to the Road to Cinema podcast, featuring director Henry Jaglum and actress Tana Frederick as we discuss their new film, Ovation, which is now playing in limited release theatrically and available right now to rent or purchase on Amazon Video On Demand. Ovation is the third film in the Maggie Chase trilogy, which chronicles the ups and downs of a Hollywood actress through the film Hollywood Dreams and Queen of the Lot. Now in Ovation, Maggie Chase, played by Tana Frederick, takes us through the backstage drama and comedy of a theatrical production. As the play is on the verge of closing, Maggie must deal with her creative ambitions as well as the financial realities of finding a way to keep the play open. And it becomes even more complicated when she gets entangled with a past love, a famous television actor played by James Denton of the hit series Desperate Housewives. We'll also have an in-depth conversation about independent filmmaking as well as Tana Frederick's new VR series, Defrost, which was featured at this year's Sundance Film Festival. Directed by Randall Kleiser of Greece and also produced by Tana Frederick, this innovative virtual reality series takes us through the point of view of a woman who has just woken up after being cryogenically frozen for 30 years. And director Henry Jaglum also shares with us his innovative process for adapting his stage play, Train to Zakopane. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, to read the Road to Cinema blog, and to watch our Road to Cinema YouTube series, please visit jogroadproductions.com. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, Jog Road Productions, to see new YouTube interviews from our Road to Cinema short series, which feature Don Cheadle, Hewan McGregor, and Greta Gerwig. Follow us on Facebook at Jog Road Productions, at Jog Road Productions on Instagram, and at Jog Road on Twitter. And don't forget to write us a nice review on the iTunes podcast page under the Road to Cinema podcast. And now we join director Henry Jaglum and actress Tana Frederick as they discuss their new film Ovation, which is now playing in limited theatrical release as well as available right now to rent or purchase through Amazon Video On Demand. And you can learn more by following Ovation on Instagram and Twitter and their Facebook page. Ten years ago, twelve years ago, we made a movie together, which was our first movie. Um, and uh, it was about a, a girl, young woman, who comes from Iowa who, to be an actress. And um, starred Tana, I, who I had seen in a play of mine, A Safe Place, and it had knocked me out. So I wrote this movie for her. And that movie played so well and had such a nice success that we were interested in the character. But we did some other work, a couple of other movies, a couple of other plays, and then we got back to her with the second uh, movie about that same character who had come here to struggle to become famous and about obsessed with fame in Hollywood. And the second one was called... Queen of the Lot. Queen of the Lot, and uh, it was with uh, Noah, Wiley. Noah Wiley and a great cast of people. Mm-hmm. And this ovation is the, th- in a way, it's, I hope it stands on its own for what that is, but it's also the third part of a trilogy of uh, Maggie Chase, as this girl is called, who was originally Margie Chizik. <clears throat> and it's about how Margie Chizik's journey from Margie Chizik to Maggie Chase and Hollywood and theater, um, sort of how 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 the her life proceeds. Fairly accurate pr- portrayal of I'd say at least fifty percent, if not like 
80% of the actors who move out here from the Midwest sort of journey, they move out here with the whole idea of being, you know, they love the craft, but they also want to be famous and quote unquote make it. And so the character, my character at the beginning, I was, I was, um, you know, young and we just played around with a lot of my friends, like I, stories that I had heard from my friends and what I had been through. She was and obsessed with fame, which was the key. The character the, the, was. All the characters who come to LA. From and so I was trying to represent like the actors at that point. And then in Queen of the Lot, she had, she, you know, it's more of the jadedness of, okay, an actor who has made, had some degree of fame, but and now had a, a flop. Now as a Hollywood star for a boyfriend and a, a, a by association as part of a big royal family in Hollywood, what goes on there. But still unfulfilled, like, oh, what do I do now that I've made, like, yeah. had some success, but also had some criticism about it. And seriously fucked up, not and, just unfulfilled, I mean. It's, it's yeah. Like, and then? And then, and now, then now, the... the he, saw, he saw it. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, then you see, then, you know, what, what a lot of actors go to is if they stay out here long enough and they don't move back to the Midwest, then they either, they come, I, I've seen a lot of them become, like, sort of purists, and they're like, well, look, my real love, I had to refine my passion again for the theater or the stage or the art somehow, and otherwise I, I you know, they wouldn't be staying out here so they had to like reintroduce themselves to what got them into yeah, we in, into to, art we in we the first to place the part that in Iowa she since childhood been doing childhood theater so it, me this, myself uh, and so, so, uh, it's art so ultimately time. you've seen the film so ultimately yeah. it's the struggle between the, the desire for commercial success and the desire for fame the desire for creative art and the desire for fame and power and money and all of that and um, all three of them lead you, they all stand individually completely but together they are a, hopefully a kind of portrait of uh, this phenomenon that since I came to Hollywood in the 60s I, to do shows like Gidget and the Flying Nun to be a guest star in these crazy shows and they were trying to build me up then as an actor for Columbia Pictures uh, I watched this happening. Then when Tana arrived from Iowa, literally, I saw the way to turn the experience that I had and that I saw thousands of my friends have, and then specifically that she was having into this series of films. Yeah, no, what's great about Ovation is you see that uh, battle between art and commerce, yeah. you know, exactly. you're just trying to do, you have to play uh, to continue, but you know, you also, your character also needs to make a living Mm -hmm. So there's that battle going on there. And uh, and has the dreams of fame. Beside living, she just wants to be more famous than a stage career in L.A. can make you by itself. So it's, it's, it, for me, it's the struggle between art and commerce that every artist experiences, every serious artist experiences, and the temptations of both. And she's caught right in the struggle yeah. of that in this final one. And there is so much of that in LA. Either you're doing theater and living kind of this vagabond life and doing, getting, you know, TV roles or commercials from yeah. here and there and uh, along the way, or you're, you are like, there's, there's such a, a huge, vast chasm between having made it, you know, like, or you're an A-list actor and you're making a lot of money or you're on a TV show, you know, but there's, there's, you know, there is a huge discrepancy between 
those who are lucky enough to have made or, or work hard. I don't know. Yeah, there's some you know what I mean. separate worlds between, you know, the people who are, you know, making a living in movies and TV and then everybody else who's sort of like in this, uh, sort of like in this uh, in-between area. Right, exactly. To, you know, get roles and make a little bit of money, but they're still, you know, bound to doing something that's actually more fulfilling, you know. Than, yeah, and uh, I get like razzed by, you know, my friends, other actors who I work with you know, who are, who are lucky enough to book TV series and they'll razz me for doing theater. And I'm like, look, I go into cast, I go into casting sessions just like you and I don't book the parts like you do, you know, like, you know, Noah and Bruce Davison and all those guys get great roles. And, and, you know, just because I do theater to keep my craft up doesn't mean that I'm doing theater because I'm a purist and I don't, I refuse to do television, you know, it's because I can't get a friggin' job. You know? Um, so they, oh, thank you. That's it's interesting oh, yeah. uh, how like someone like James Franco he'll do like like he did like General Hospital recently. And, yeah, yeah. You know, he does, yeah, like, he's a very stage play. He does like a little bit of everything. He's his whole thing is like breaking down the barriers. He's very like, exemplary of that more. of that yeah. refusal to yeah, accept yeah, yeah, the yeah. traditional barriers, and it makes in the world today much more sense than it did before when things were stratified. And if you were a movie actor, you were somehow in a superior category than a TV actor, and you know now things are just the work which is kind of good, and he's very mm -hmm. much an exemplifier of that. Yeah, and I mean, that's, I think that's where we're at now is, is just, or that's what you become, is you just become, I'm going to wear every hat that I possibly can because that is what art is. It's all-encompassing, and it's finding every, every part of the, the exploring every, every single job on set, exploring every angle and, and sort of nook and crevice of art that you can, that you can figure out. I just recently produced a VR series, um, the first, uh, VR narrative called Defrost. Um, and our first pilot went to Sundance and that was a weird experience for me because, um, I'm definitely not a tech head, but yeah, I read about that series. It's sort of, uh, it's through the point of view of uh, uh, of like a patient in a hospital of 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 a mother who who ah. gets thawed after thirty years and meets her family, ah. and a it's lot amazing. of it's, it's unbelievably weird and amazing. Did you put on the headsets and uh, yeah? So I have gear, yeah. and yeah, you have to put on the gear, and I had to adapt myself to this whole new different system of filming where we're filming with you know and and being a producer and being in it and taking care of things. Um, but you know, our, my first production went to Sundance, you know, the, the pilot, which was really cool. Cause it was basically just two, two, uh, <clears throat> hero cams, uh, with fisheye lenses duct taped together. <laughs> and it was a great concept written by Randall Kleiser. And, you know, those sort of, so it was like indie VR, yet it made it to Cannes, it made it to Sundance, it made it to South by Southwest, and it's yeah. going strong. And so there's all these different ways to tell stories, and I just think there's all these different ways to explore story, and they should all be explored, they should all be utilized. Yeah, I think now with streaming and everything, it's really just becoming more uh, democratic in a way. You know, yeah. Everybody can do any platform and... Very democratic, yeah. and while I not, and and the price, if you know how to make it, you can make. Uh, there are people making the same experience that I made. Um, 
for nine million dollars, whereas my budget was a hundred and fifty thousand, you know, but yeah. and that's similar to independent independent filmmaking, filmmaking yeah. yeah. Because I know um, you guys typically don't work with sort of a, a standard script. A lot is improvised. We have uh, scripts. That's a myth kind of that has yeah. attached itself to my work from the beginning. Uh, I've done 20 films now, and the uh, first one was based on a play. And they, they're written, but then what we do is we, encourage, we write them in a way that encourages the actors to, once they express the intention of their character to use themselves, their memory, their history, their language, the incidents in their lives, anything that might they feel applicable, to, to introduce it to the subject matter. And then in the editing, I can go and select the things I want, and I find that I get a much richer canvas. Um, it's much more written than people think, but it's written in a way that allows it to go off in different directions. If some actor takes it there, and it's a wonderful moment, uh, I want to use that. An example, since you saw it, you just saw it, is my son, who has that scene. Uh, that's my son, who is who plays the guy who runs the lights. Yeah, the, the kid, lighting the technician. Kid, but, yeah. So he has he has that scene with um, um, with our star, James Denton. James Denton, and he did shit in there that I didn't expect. He just just he just had his character down, but he also had a history of, he did, he's a new act, young actor, and he just wrote himself a bunch of stuff. So he started doing the stuff that I wanted, veered into his own stuff, and his stuff was better than what I had written. Yeah. So and that was all on the set? Uh, while it was during the yeah, shooting. During the shooting. And Denton was good enough to go along with it, not knowing what was being thrown at him. And uh, Tana had been doing this with me from the beginning. So I was very used to that, but there's very few good actors who can really, mostly I want them to stick pretty much to what I've written because if they try this, it's a lot of hit and miss and mostly miss. Tana has this knack and so does my, my kid, so does Simon. Um, and, and they can take it off and, and steer it back within the intention of the character. And that whole scene in, in the dressing room where he's talking to... James Denton. James Denton. Yeah. About his father beating, you know, and his sister, a guy beating up his sister and he needs revenge. And I, I didn't write that. But it's... He yeah. came to me and yeah. said, how's this? I said, well, try it. And I, I stood behind my cameraman who's been my cameraman for 10 or 12 years, Ananya, this Israeli cameraman. And I said to him, am I nuts? He's like, Terrific. So this is really he's an actor and it links back uh, to the previous scene where he was defending his yes. sister and yeah that oh sure yeah, yeah. It, it, we, but he knew that had to be but the specifics about seeing Denton on a TV show and uh, where he did this and asking him for that's, that was Simon's invention so if you let actors any actor uh, enrich your scene as you've written it and if you stay open and in my mind intelligently open then they give you so much more texture, sometimes so much more detail of a kind, that if you're not willing to follow it, if you're not willing to see where it leads, you're, you're stupid, you're cutting up. I mean, there's some movies that aren't served by this kind of work, and they're precisely every script, they want every word and everything, but I hated it as an actor when I was under contract doing The Flying Nun and Gidget and guest starring and those kind of things, that if I said, and, and there wasn't an end in the script, they'd say, cut, there is no end. 
and it was infuriating. So as a director, I started really encouraging actors to, once they got the point that I needed for the storyline, to go. And boy, do they go. This one more than anybody in the world. That's why we've done six, seven, or eight movies together, because she takes it places that I never would have thought of. So it would be very stupid for me to say, no, keep it just in that little space that I created there. Yeah. So, so you so consider the actors almost like sort of collaborators, absolutely, that absolutely, space. absolutely. More than anything, I mean, I don't even like to work with more traditional actors who who are only comfortable with what they've memorized and written. And I also that's also why I like to cast actors who have some relationship. Uh, my son obviously didn't have a problem wanting to kill his father because here I am, and uh, <laughs> and he's, he gets along fine, but. But he he grew up watching um, the Sopranos, and watching what was that horrible Oz? Oh yeah, great. I, mean, yeah. I say horrible because it's so unpleasant to watch, but such real acting, and he loved that. And I, I didn't think there was any room for that in this kind of a film, this kind of comedy. He brought it in. It was a great color. He brought a deep dark color into what is basically a romantic comedy. Yeah. You know, and I thought I just stood behind my cinematographer saying, "Am I crazy?" It's just like Montgomery fucking Clift. It's James Dean I got here. It's like my kid. And he'd had small parts in all my movies, and I knew he was confident, sort of confident and competent, but I didn't know he, he had this range or this stuff. So. But I think... Um, and the, Tana, the... from the beginning, just let me finish that. The first thing I did with her, before I ever put her in a movie, was with the 16 millimeter little baby crew, I, I did an interview with her. And... Um, I asked her to use a play that I'd written as part of that interview, and she emotionally opened up in the interview, had, was nervous, and allowed us to see the nervousness, uh, was emotionally so rich that I said, okay, cut, that's the opening of the movie. I used the, the interview, the audition, even though it was 16 millimeter, and I used it, uh, and it blew it up to 35, and, and it's the opening of the first one of those movies. Because I saw suddenly an actor who could go all over the place, from comedy to, to real pain, and it's all true. And uh, I'm, you know, I love that. I'm an actor. I come from the actor's studio, from Strasbourg, from that kind of work. So to me, that is, there's nothing more thrilling than guiding a film along the lines that your actors, if you have the right actors, are showing you. Yeah. It's possible because I've seen the last two in the M word and with this one, they are uh, there. There is very there is a very strict plot to what's going on. I like strict yes. plots. Within that, there's a lot of tangents. You know, yeah. They go way off. Yeah, the M word's another. I, I didn't know she could be. Uh, what's her name uh, down south? What, Rainmaker? No, darling. In when you're leading the the rebellion in the newsroom. Oh. Um. What's her name? Norma, you know? like a Norma Ray. Type. Norma Ray. I didn't know she had this thing that she could get up there and do that. I just wrote a structure. Again, we worked. And suddenly, not, well, she, suddenly she's standing up on the table and demanding that everybody does this. And I saw, whoa. And it was working. And she had the power of that character. And I'd be an idiot as a filmmaker. I just wouldn't be interested in not having actors who take me places. I can know. Then I come to the editing room and we see what we can use and how do we build it, you know. I think I, I think what bothers me about people misunderstanding Henry's process is that if you've done like Simon, like 
many actors in Henry's stable, like Zach Norman and David Proval and when Karen Black was around. And if you've done several of Henry's films, you know that what you know that how to take the dialogue, memorize the dialogue, you know where you're going with the scene, you know the overall crux of your character throughout the, the picture, if you're one of like the leads in the film. Yeah. And then you know how to guide the scene to where it needs to go to. So you do that, you use a dialogue, and as we've brought in another collaborator, Ron Vignoni, the scripts have become even more like linear, I believe. And um, But... The freedom in that within that discipline of the scripts becoming more linear, there's more freedom to um, to go off as as the character and explore and come up with different plot lines and try to you know pull stuff up with other people yeah. because because most of the actors who are coming in are coming in to just try something out and have, you know, you just want to you want to help them out because you want them to succeed. Like James uh, not so much James, but more the peripheral characters. You want to get good yeah. moments out of them. You want to grab like the Jaglomian moments out of them, where you're gonna challenge them and be like, "I'm gonna throw this your way and see what you do with it." It's like the great game of playing tennis. You know, it's like yeah. Im the improvisation, but it's not improvisation because you have a person in each scene who knows what they're doing because and there's they, a whole arc to each. They're, scene they are holding the arc. They are holding yeah. the tension. They are holding the plot. In within them so I think that's like the misnomer about about Jaglum films is that yes there is a script and there's at least one person in the scene who is adhering to it and knows what needs to be accomplished in the scene whether it's me or Simon or Sabrina or Zach Norman or Kathy or you know whoever it is but there is we do have like a 135 page script which is already too long you know but but we just in the editing process, you know, Henry believes that the actors can come up with better material than what he's written, which is partially true, but he's a brilliant writer. So, And the, the interesting thing I want to say about Henry, too, is um, the first thing that I did with him was a, a play. I produced a play of his to prove to him oh, yeah. that, uh, I that. that I could star in his films and handle being the lead in his films because I just felt a sort of she kismet. A, a safe place which had never been produced I had done it in New York at the Actors Studio with Karen Black uh, and then I'd made it as a film with Tuesday Will my first film but I had never you know that, that, that's, that was it and it was 30 years later or something and she, I thought she wanted a scene for an acting class <laughs> she told me she did so I said hey look at this this character is remarkably it would be good for you to play I think you could really bring something I hadn't thought about it and she she was going to go to an acting class and do a scene and she came back to me I think it was 10 days later she had a theater she had a producer she had the financing wow. she had a director she had a start <laughs> date she had ideas for the rest of the cast the financing aspect is very impressive <laughs> I went to a lot of theaters Hugely. it was very difficult Hugely. financing a play is uh, but I was in the, LA yeah not an easy and it ran, it ran for, for five or six months huge story in the well, LA eight Times months. eight months big two page thing in the LA Times and I, I saw she could do whatever that's that, so that led to the first movie but and as we've been a, doing movie play movie play ever since as a playwright she's, he's as a amazing as she is on film she's something else on stage which you will soon get a chance to see since we'll he already you. saw um, oh, Zakopane to uh, Zakopane so, so you know, for somebody who's seen Train to Zakopane <laughs> you cannot imagine her dog in Sylvia 
when she's a dog on stage, which is an, you will be invited. Oh, to. definitely. That's coming up. Looking forward to I'm it. I'm glad you. So you you came to see the play. Yeah, I saw it in uh, I think it was one maybe January. Yeah. The earlier mm-hmm. in the year. Yeah. Or, or maybe it was. Uh, oh, now I remember it was like mid last year. Yeah, it was uh-huh. like yeah. Uh, April or May. Well, we ran for a year. Yeah. yeah. So. But the thing about Henry as a playwright, which I discovered early on, is that he's a complete stickler as a playwright. He's like... Which is weird because everybody thinks I improvise in movies. You said A, it's supposed to be N. Yeah, I remember you were sitting in the the, back of the theater uh, watching. Every time, (laughs) taking notes. So you go to every performance and you're... Every performance. And we're talking like... 10 to 12 month runs of every show that he writes. So he is, he has this um, laissez-faire attitude um, with with his films, but then when it comes to theater, he's like, yeah, we're in our seventh month and he's, during a safe place, he was still taking notes in the back. And yeah, it was, it was a big difference for me. I mean, film is... is, is it was a, interesting. Is, is for me a, a medium that, you can you can shape and reshape and and the play is going on live. You can't, you can't fuck around with it. The actors can do acting things, but the, the the writing has to be precise and so on. So people are always surprised with me because they think of my films and that it's a looseness and a, and I have no looseness in theater. I know exactly what I want and that's what I want the actors to do. They're very different mediums. They they give you something very different. And this person can do both with like magic. So, I found my magic. Aw, shucks. I was curious, uh, writing Ovation, having uh, the Edgemore Theater be the entire setting, um, I mean, is it ever difficult to sort of write within one space? Or is well, yeah, that was, that was the sense? challenge for yeah. me, because I'd always wanted, I love backstage ideas. I love the life, of, and most people in the world who aren't actors or aren't in theater have no idea what goes on backstage. So I thought, I, we're, we're here anyway. Tana's doing this play, The Rainmaker. These are the actors in The Rainmaker. I can just add a few people, a, a, a producer, a, you know, Zach is a manager, being a create, and create a story. But the demand that I put on myself was that it's a story where we never leave the theater. We don't see what, and we don't see what's on stage. On stage we, we, right. what the, we see people going on, taking curtain calls, going off. But we, it's not about the play, that's the background. It's, it's the, the foreground, instead of being the theater and what's going on, the foreground is backstage. And everything was shot and within on the grounds of the theater, and I'd always wanted to do that. So he's, all, he's always, like 10 years ago, yeah, he I've had always, this idea of, I want to do behind the scenes, <coughs> I want to do a play, a movie about a play backstage but it's a play within it's I, what I, happens with the play within I started the movie as an actor you know and when you're an actor so much of your life at the beginning it's all plays there's no movies starting in school or starting wherever you are for me it was off Broadway and you know there's this wonderful world of actors and, and craziness and excitement and drama that nobody knows about there's way comedy. more drama backstage than there is on and stage far more, <laughs> and more, far more bizarre comedy too I mean, yeah, it's, it's just, yeah. It, it afforded me and I thought it was a great challenge to set, set for myself a film where I never leave backstage Yeah, and see the mechanics of what it takes to put on a play right. and what it takes to really maintain a play right, as right. we've seen the film yeah. so Henry like pretty much came, I mean he loves the theater he loves actors He's an actor's director, so he would come hang out during Rainmaker was one of um, a huge hit 
standing ovations every night. It was it was crazy. We were crazy lucky with that play, and um, and so Henry would come back, and I always get to the theater like. I have my Eleonora Duza rule where I get there like three hours before everybody else and Henry makes fun of me. And then he'll come come with me and accompany me to the theater and then he'll sit back there and just hang out with all the actors until like curtain every single night. So he loves that world. And then, so that's where doing this for a year, he's like, okay, this is the next movie. Let's do it all was, the backstage. My, and everybody chi my childhood fantasy was I was sitting at, my mother used to take me to musicals on in Broadway in New York for my birthday every year with a group of boys from my school. We got to see a, a show. And she told me that the first thing I did was ask, well, when they leave there, where did they go? She said, what do you mean? The, the play's here. Watch the play. It's over here. But that person, and then that person comes back wearing something different. I'm talking about seven, six, seven, eight years old. I said, what, what, what are they doing between then and now? They're, she said, that's not important. You're not supposed to pay attention to that. <laughs> it's the experience of this. But I was fascinated, she told me. She told me years later that I was fascinated from the beginning with what they were doing between the moment they left and the moment they came back. I've actually never told that to anybody before in, in relation to this, yeah. to that movie. But that's, of course, the genesis of it. I, was, yeah. I just loved the fascination with backstage. And then I started acting in plays and directing plays in college. And backstage was full of excitement. That's the creativity of, of the theater artists. You talked about your editing process being very you know, detailed in terms of all these different choices mm -hmm. you could probably make. Right. Um, so how long do you take to edit and what is sort of your... A year, a year and a half, usually. Uh, uh, until I find my movie. Uh, Orson Welles said this great thing about, um, he was watching me do this one day, and he said, you know, you're like this old, uh, I don't know if you've heard this, I've told this story before, obviously, so I'm trying to make it sound fresh, but I've told oh, this go before. for it. <laughs> um, no, it's not long. He just said, um, uh, after we shot a scene in Someone to Love, he said, you know, you're like this old Eskimo I saw in a, in a documentary about Eskimos. I said, what are you, what are you talking about? He said, there's this old Eskimo who's sitting and carving at a gigantic walrus tusk. And he's cutting and cutting and cutting it with his knife. And it's like, you can't see anything. It doesn't. And the filmmaker comes up to him and says, what are you making? And the Eskimo looks at the filmmaker, who the documentary filmmaker, completely bewildered by the question and says, I'm trying to find out what's inside. And Orson said, that's the way you make your movies, Henry. You carve away at me. At that particular time, and I had given him some hard time that day. You carve away at all your friends, at the people you know, and you and you find out what's inside. You make your movie out of what's inside, and that that's a very my favorite description of what I try to do. You used to hand edit your films. You uh, right. you know let it's funny to call it's funny to call that. a hand edit because <laughs> there was no other way of doing it. It wasn't yeah. a choice. It was that's how you edited film. You cut it and pasted it. You cut it and pasted it until three films ago. I did that. I, I did it longer in Hollywood, I think, than anybody else, they tell me. Long after there was, I was so resistant and to, to the technology. Now, of course, you can do so much more with the technology, and I, but now I can't do it alone. I have an editor who's a, who's a collaborator in every sense of the word. Well, because you switched from a flatbed to digital. Yes. Um, but, Ovation was the first movie that he filmed on uh, digital. Uh, and edited digitally as well. Yeah. The yeah. First, uh, yeah. Well. 
What? Uh, no, no, no. I take that back. It was M the second film I edited digitally, but yeah. it was the first film that I shot. M word we transferred over from 35 to digital and then edited that way. But it was literally because he couldn't find the material. Like, they, they, they couldn't ran, find the tape. There was no more tape. You know, you, you needed two kinds of tape. The clear tape for film and the certain tape for sound. Uh, I don't know, you're not old oh, enough Oh, you would edit it. the soundtrack as well. That would be oh, part had, of the... Uh... You had to. You were very yeah. young. <laughs> you, you had a reel here and a reel here. And I had three screens. And the tape, you tape with one kind of tape, the sound, and it's over here, and with clear tape, the film. And you make your splices. And I did all of that. I loved it. I didn't use an editor to do that. I loved it. And I did, I did it for 17 or 18 films. Because of Orson Welles, because when it started out, everybody was doing these ancient machines where they did this like this. You, saw, you can see it in some movies where they're, I forgot what it's even called, where they're editing on uh, this thing, a manual thing. And Orson told me for my first movie, you've got to get a chem. This is the future and so on. And it was the future until it was no longer the future. For 18 films I made uh, on it, and then uh, they wouldn't, they, they said, oh, we don't have tape anymore because nobody uses that. So I couldn't split, put together the films of the song. Yeah. Peter had a wonderful woman editor. She was very important and respected. Oh, uh, and Verna Fields, was that? Verna, is that Verna something like yeah. that? And um, what amazed me was I remember when he was shooting the movie with Streisand and Ryan O'Neill, he called me up because he was having some problem then with somebody and I had to go down there and help him with a personal thing. And I said, how are you doing? He said, oh, fine, I've got half of it cut. I said, what? You're just in the middle of shooting the movie and you've got half of it edited already? He said, yeah, she's been in there doing, you know, and, and I went and saw. I was amazed because for me, a film is you shoot it and then you spend a year, a year and a half, you know, putting it together. Yeah. He had half of it finished halfway in the shooting of the movie. And I think he would, like, cut in the camera, too. Like, he knew a lot of, what, like, where the cuts would be. Yes, but yeah, he did, he did the John Ford thing. Yeah. Uh, more than most people did. Yes, because he's a, it's a t totally different idea of filmmaking. He's the old person I know longest, my oldest friend in this business. Uh, we knew each other before either of us had made anything. And, um, yeah. Peter taught me not to read my reviews, even. Like, I found out from Peter 15 years ago not to, to read my reviews because I was going through and reading my all my reviews, and he's like, are you, are you fucking crazy? Like, what's the matter with you? I don't know if you have if I'm allowed to swear on the this oh, podcast. Yeah, don't swear. Okay, so he was like, <laughs> I have my assistants do that. Are you are you kidding me? You have to have somebody go through and like like vet your like reviews and and pick out the bad ones. That he's go he was like, I'd go crazy if I read all of my reviews. What are you What are you doing to yourself? Like, are you nuts? And I was like, Oh, okay, I feel better because I've like developed such a complex from reading all my reviews, and um. She'd what? be sitting around crying. I said, why are you crazy? Why are you reading those? Read these. These are all the great rave ones. She'd find the one or two oh, that didn't like her. Yeah. And no, it's, I read uh, David Lean, uh, Ryan's daughter, I think was one of the last movies he did. Yeah. Uh, like, I guess he screened it for some critics and he thought they were going to be, you know, very appreciative of the right. movie and they weren't and it basically, like, killed him. I don't even think he was very productive after like, the last 10 years of his life. It was sad. 
but I think it just teaches you know like reviews are really you know you, you can't uh, yeah but it's really hard to resist you know yeah <laughs> because you get a good reading we, your reviews we, you get a good one and you especially if you're also the producer and in charge of because of, for instance we got a very good review in the L A Times on this movie oh yeah I saw there was a so yeah, yeah. That was so cool. that that gives you the lead quote in the ads. You have to know if you're also the producers. And, it helps you know. publicize the movie. Oh, incredible. Yeah. But you do read a lot of bad stuff about yourself. I mean, you know, you approach it all with, okay, how is it? You ask some somebody in the office, you know. I've stopped reading them. I just can't. Yeah, unless it's, it's, unless it's they're really good and they come not, out not and they're a it. publication that you know is going to sell the project, especially like in theater, too. Yeah. Like either... We usually either get like you a get rave from raves. LA Times or we get a rave from New York Times. Yeah. And they're never halfway like, meh. They're like, this is brilliant. This is Jaglum's best film to date. Or they're it's like, the this is the worst piece of shit ever. <laughs> and they're never in between. So there's no, there's no lukewarm opinions ever of any of I used to, films. I used to. Uh, I used to Xerox bad reviews and send them out for Christmas and send them for Christmas to people <laughs> and always send one to the reviewer with a big thank you note over it who wrote a real uh, ugly bad review like I really loved this thanks just to just to fuck them uh, up to wonder what would it be where, where. I, have you ever done people, that pe- have people you tried mag- to like pe- people magazine said about my second or third I don't remember which movie if this one were if this movie were a horse, you'd shoot it. Wow. And I thought, I'm never going to get anything as good. I printed that out for Christmas. Everybody got that. Everybody got that. <laughs> I love People magazine. If this movie were a horse, you'd shoot it. You know, if you're not going to if you're not going to enjoy the the ride, it's crazy. Yeah, I know in the '70s, which was sort of like the height of film criticism, like Pauline Kael and John Simon and Rex Reed were really known for their kind of very yeah. acerbic uh, reviews. Yeah, but what's weird is each one of those. For instance, in my case, it gave me bad reviews and great reviews on individual yeah, pictures. Roger Ebert, I think, gave you good reviews. I remember Ebert, Ebert has been yeah. was wonderful until uh, uh, like until uh, no, we don't need to go into okay. that until I didn't go to a film festival that he sponsored and then he got mad. So politics. It's, <laughs> yeah, no, it he really, really is. He really it's, loved uh, my films and wrote and you know on Deja yeah. Vu he made it famous and he, no, but um, it, you know. They're all, they all, and they are entitled. They are sometimes love the, the same critic, loves this film, hates that film. You think, oh boy, I got this critic. He's, they're going to review it for this paper. It's going to be great. And it isn't. Or, oh God, I got that guy again. And he gives you a great one. So, you know, they try to be fair in their way. And uh, I, what I love is when they're really mean. Like, if this hor- movie were a horse, you'd shoot it. Yeah. Or that was People magazine, who, which also did about another one of my movies. Every year I look forward um, to two things with agony. Uh, my, uh, the, new, the new Henry Jaglum movie and having a... Um, what's that called? Uh, oh, a, uh, but, uh, where they drill... Oh, a root canal. Root canal. Root canal. <laughs> he said, it's really hard to say which is worse. Uh, that's the review. Though I still like, if this movie were a horse, I'd shoot it somehow, was my favorite perfume. <laughs> and Orson, poor Orson, carried around, like, after Citizen Kane considered the greatest movie by almost everybody, 55 years later, he still carried yellowed copies of the bad review written by somebody who, unfortunately, he respected. 
And he carried this thing around. I said, what are you nuts? What are you crazy? Everybody loves your film, thinks it's the greatest film ever made. He said, yeah, no, not this person. Read this. So. I mean, Cassavetes ultimately had the best ever. quote on films. He's like, oh. if you don't like this movie, fuck you. I didn't make it for you. Um, I didn't make it for you anyway. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I have that pinned over. You don't like, or it's it's even better than that. It's like something like, you don't like this fucking movie? Fuck you. I didn't make this movie for you anyway. anyway. And I think that's the healthiest attitude to have because there's just so many. People use their own insecurities also, you know, to to some people want to make movies and can't make movies. Well, who, yeah, it's it's Or they have particular agendas. Or they've got all kinds of stuff. You can't go, I've tried to protect her against it. But the thing is, you want her to know all the great reviews. So I, I'm checking everything first, you know, and then yeah. trying to hide everything else. And you can get a good quote. It does help publicize. Oh, it's hugely well, absolutely, important, not yeah. just the quote. But that's your, that's This time we've been job. lucky. We've only been good so far, so we'll see. But the, Yeah, and of, we have know. people to do that. So protect it. I mean, I think it's important to protect yourself as an artist. It's I'm like, glad you learned that. It, well... You used to. You see, know, I learned that. Yeah, but you used to be so. That was like fifteen up every years terrible ago. Terrible thing that could possibly be said by some. Now I just don't give a shit. I'm yeah, just like, it was as long terrible. as we, she if would we can find use the it, reviews that clearly represented somebody's like you know hatred of redheads. I don't know, and some. some well, no, weird because they person. can get really mean and attack you personally. Like they. Well, I think some I, critics can be like objective in terms of like here are the reasons why or why not I that's like something, and then other people can like make personal attacks. They did make personal physical attacks, uh, like I oh she has a second avenue schnoz and she has a horse mouth. This was on the first movie, and you know I was fresh off you know the bus from Iowa, so you know and 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 um, yeah. her her nasally you know they just it was it wasn't cool. It was like not cool comments about my physical appearance and I'm like you can't hit below the belt like that's not cool that's not that's that's just ridiculous what's satisfying is the same critic who attacked her physically five movies later raved about as if he'd never read his own review she hasn't touched her face (laughs) raved about this her beauty and I thought wow that's fascinating that's just like this this person isn't even conscious each individual experience is whatever it is from, you know. Yeah. She's going off into the tech world by making, I'm amazed, she's been producing the, these extraordinary... Well, you... VR narrative, I think, is really important <clears throat> right now because it's such a powerful tool in virtual reality and is in 360 immersive, has so much potential. It's like theater in the round, only in within a... a captured in technology and if you have a good uh narrative to justify that then you you are forcing the audience to be completely immersed in your art in your story in your experience and if used correctly by a good storyteller then it can be the most powerful experience in the world and so i'm trying to get henry to do a vr piece Oh, um, wow. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to get him to figure out what VRP. But in the do. in the meantime, thanks to technology and a wonderful editor, um, collaborator, he's much more of an editor, uh, Ron Mignoni. Uh, the newest aspect of technology is that in the edit, all, all it was an article of faith that everybody knew who was in movies that you can go into the into the lab after you shoot a movie. 
and you can do certain things. They were limited, but you could do certain things. One of the things you could do, if you're over there and I've shot you like this, is you could move in a little closer. But you couldn't move in much closer than that, because you'd start getting fuzzy and now you're out of focus. That's no longer the case, just, just as of three years ago. When I heard that, we had just put on the play that had run for a year, Train to Zakopane. I couldn't afford to make it as a film, because it's a period piece, 1920s Poland, you know, uh, all on a train. I mean, who, I can't, I'd have to make a deal with a studio. A studio wouldn't make a deal with me if I insisted on Final Cut, which has been a thing all my life, so I wouldn't do it. Um, so I thought, well, I, how do I make this into a movie? And then the technology suddenly opened up, and I can go in to two of you in a love scene as if it's like in the 1930s movie close, over the shoulder, just with three cameras, which is how I shot it. Yeah. And I'm editing that now with Ron. With Pro Tools? I mean, with all and, the Pro and, Tools. And, and we're that. putting windows in the trains and stars in the sky and backgrounds and, and things with the technology and, making clo and doing it all in black and white. So it's like a 1930s romantic movie on a train. I mean, it's, it's like a new form. Totally exciting to me, using the technology that allows you to enter another another phase. So you Creative. shot three cameras uh, simultaneously. Yeah. And you were, wow, it's incredible. That's in all it was. In, in one, four one, days, I think. In, four days. In four days. Well, we shot it twice because we shot it once with the audience. And the problem with that was the actors, were, who were great on stage, when you had it on film, we suddenly realized they were bigger than they should be because they were working for an audience. And you do automatically, you're real, but you're yeah. real, but larger, bigger, louder. So, so we did it again, and it didn't cost anything. It's three guys with cameras, you know, and a little sound lighting adjustment. And I've, you, I'm using just that to make this extraordinary version of, of Zakopane, which you will so, soon see. We will let you know. That was incredible. And, and since you saw the play, you'll be fascinated. It's the next it, film. It looks like nothing <clears throat> and has ever looked. It looks like a 1930s movie. The romance... I mean, they're, they're wonderful actors, and it allows me to get into them. And also to create, uh, instead of being a set, which, you know, like a, a bad train set, to create trains going by and things, you know, and all of this, it's amazing. Henry, Henry and I used to do so, this thing called shitty movie hopping, which nobody knows about this first time we've ever said this on it. But I would be like, okay, we're going to go shitty movie hopping. So... We'd pay our money because he's Henry Jack. Well, nobody filmmakers won't be happy to hear this, but it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, but probably not. This was a while ago. Now we would never do that. Okay. But um, we would pay the money to get in, and because he's Henry Jaglum, um, nobody would really stop us from going from theater to theater. So the rule was, okay, 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes in each movie. So we go to each movie oh, the in the Cineplex, and yeah, and we watch each movie, right? And we'd be like, "Oh my God, okay, this that that's a piece of shit," you know, like, and and we go from movie to movie to movie. But then, you know, we would see one yeah. that was brilliant, and what we saw, that. I remember this particular time, we saw the end of Dogville, Dogville. and we were like, 
holy shit. Except through the whole and we were like, yeah. we're staying and watching the whole rest so of it all Mars over Mars again. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was and it was all like drawn out on stage and it was like just, just, just and suggested. Think, the rooms are suggested. The, the memory of that is what gave me permission. This, think, yeah. To do what I'm doing. And he's, and he's transferred it in the black and white and it's somewhere between that and I'm, I'm sorry, I know you don't like this, but like, Baz Luhrmann and no, uh, no. Terry Gilliam. It's got wow. this very special, I, special quality never, to it that baby, you could. You've never said that before. You know, I love analogy to Terry Gilliam, who's my friend. An old, uh, well, you know, I know, yeah, and, and so to and me, it's Baz, it's uh, Baz Luhrmann. The first thing blew me away. The first one, what was that one? Oh, uh, ball, ballroom. Is it called? Uh, no, the 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 with Nicole Kidman musical. The um, Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge. Yeah. So this I, I reminds me. I was blown me... away. I sat in a small. He was sitting next to me, and I was, there were twenty people. No, I, I'm. So this 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 reminds me of a, a hybrid of those three films. But it's somehow, but you know, but its own its own entity. But it's it's amazing what you can do now if if you have the tools and you know how to manage a technology and you can download like pulling in uh ron and henry are pulling in and and, and ron vignoni b-i-g-n-o-n-e is pulling in um you know these great scenes from poland in 1928 putting integrating those with the play you know in black and white it's and it's just What's being done? What they're doing new, is amazing. It's, a, it's something new that's never been done before. Yeah. So it's really. Cre- I keep thinking of Orson. Of course, would have gone nuts because you can do stuff technically now that ch- totally rewrites the rules of filmmaking, and that that's very exciting. How far along are you into uh, into the process? I never know how to answer that because I'm, I I keep working till it's finished, but yeah. I'm 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 ready to start. I'm going to probably start in a month or two. Having screening rough cut screenings, I'll be glad to invite you if you. Oh, want. sure, that would be yeah. wonderful. Yeah. There was um, there was actually something I read about recently. Francis Coppola was at UCLA doing this thing called live cinema, where I guess he's taking like a basically a stage play that he wrote or conceived, and uh, you know filming the whole thing and like doing like the music live and uh, the you know setting up different shots live. So it's interesting how like sort of theater and film can. Blend like that. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, it's 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 an absolutely yeah. fabulous time. Because the technology allows you now a kind of creativity beyond the boundaries that used to exist. So that's that's wonderful. Women are. Uh, I I know a lot of theater people who are doing that with VR too, and they're like the, these students are talking to me and are not students, but these theater. Well, some of them are students, but like they're coming up to me because I speak on panels at whatever digital day or. Um, digital Hollywood or whatever it is and they're like these completely outgoing crazy smart theater people who have filmed their entire play in 360 um, immersive uh, uh, virtual reality stitched learn to stitch the entire things the, themselves have the complete project stitched and they're like where do I go with it now and I'm like you mean to tell me that you produced a play, you shot it in VR, you learned to stitch, rotoscope, like denoise everything yourself, 
which I don't even know how to do when I produce my own, you know. I'm like, and now you have the finished product and you want to know what to do with it. So there's whole, this whole, you know, there's like never-ending possibilities the with the technology be, right now. Greatest time to be a filmmaker now. Because greatest it's inexpensive and... Forcing the word alive. There's so many possibilities. He would be so happy. He, he would have that on his belly. He would be doing so many things. Because now it's not about money now. Suddenly it's about creativity. The technology frees you to really work, you know, in ways that never were possible before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the HD cameras are so cheap now. Yeah. I mean, there's like no excuse not, right. to, uh, not to have one. That's right. Yeah, it's exactly. Become, it's become an astonishing thing. My editor made a film, directed a film starring Tana, which Tana produced in Iowa, where she's from, a wonderful film which is going to be coming out also soon. Uh, they're in the final sta- He's in the final stages of editing it. Um, called Garner, Garner, Iowa. Uh, and um, I, I just recently saw this rough cut of it and I'm just, I was completely blown away because in, in, in my day, it would have taken a, like a studio millions and millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars mm-hmm. to make it. It's, it's not like my movies where a lot of people are sitting around frequently in a room talking to themselves or each other. It's like a movie, like an old-fashioned, great but very new a movie which he made for very very little money because we're producing it I know I know we made it for $85,000 wow. and the quality looks like the quality it's at looks least like a 15, 10 million 15 20 million dollar oh. hollywood movie because it's amazing and 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 I'm laughed at so many times because I followed Henry Henry's example going in and making these films and I'm like look you don't need the money you just need the passion and you, you had know your, you had your father doing this my dad this. was my producer <laughs> I had 400 extras showing up at in Iowa that were all and you know, and friends. Um, and it's and a brilliant film. I'm just community. stunned because doing it that way. I thought somehow that'll that's nice. I was patronizing about it in my inner mind. I didn't expect. I've just seen the rough cut, and I'm just blown away. I'm just totally like it's a beautiful film about America, in a, 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 in, a in a way so far into my kind of filmmaking. It's just it's just mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah, it's just incredible, you know, how few resources you need now. That's it. That's Everything exactly. has shrunk down it. in a way. It's the best time you I can... You don't need as much light. You know, there's ways to get cheaper sound equipment. You know? Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Or you, yeah. can, you can invent technology like, like we're doing in terms of Zakopane, or you can get everybody in the, in the neighborhood working like they did on Garner, Iowa, where her father was corralling people to do this and that. I mean, and it's... And you don't... You don't see that. You see a film that can stand up against the great 1930s, 40s uh, films about America. You know, it's just amazing. And we had ton, and and we did have tons of resources because we had so much love from the community because they were so hungry to have film there in the Midwest because um, so it's no longer about the money. That's the great. It, news. Yeah, it's about it's about news. the passion, yeah. and if you want to get a film made, you can ask for I've learned to ask for favors to say okay guys you know this is this is about Iowa and we need to keep making films and show the rest of the world that we that it's, Iowa can produce amazing for me, films for me personally it's no longer about what I had to go through after making my first film uh, which then became this huge flop in commercial terms because it was a piece of art instead of a piece of commerce and my second film which was five years of being unable to make a film if it were today, I could have made a film the next week. 
you know, it's no longer about the money. Yeah, or even with Orson Welles in his case when he was spending, you know, the last especially decade about of his life a, looking for the, money. Three decades. Three decades. Yeah, that's true. And those were. The, did you read the book? Oh, I did. The lunches. Yeah. yeah. So the poor guy. You know, that was all about trying to get him the money, trying to get him the money, trying to. I went to every single person in this town, people I grew up with who are now running studios. They all wanted to have lunch with him. Nobody would finance him. Mm. Now he doesn't. He wouldn't. He, he would do a commercial. And use that money to make a movie, because the technology has been so incredibly uh, uh, adapted to easy use. It's it's just a great time. For, you really are now an artist again in mm -hmm. film, like a painter with who who needs paint and paintbrushes and a canvas, you know. And that's just exciting. And you just need belief. to reinvent yourself. I mean. That even Randall's done that with VR. I mean, he's used to having Randall yeah, Kleiser. He did Grease, Flight of the Navigator. Yeah, look what he's doing. When I yeah. first met him, there was no way in hell he would make a movie for less than, or con could conceptualize on how to make a, f a film for less than, okay. you know, a, a studio budget. Um, but now with VR, he's reinvented himself. He's he's now you know working in a completely different way and you know you just need to keep doing that and move with the times move with the technology keep pushing forward keep saying okay i'm this is what i want this is my goal and it it's it's, it's exciting if if, if people are willing to adapt and that's the whole thing because a very famous filmmaker came to me who was frustrated because studio was making him use this person and they couldn't he couldn't do this ending that he wanted they had rules they gave him they were giving him 40 million or whatever but there was he couldn't cut and the ending had to be and he said look i'd love to make movies like you do i said how do you do it so i sat down and i showed him and he said well uh where's my where's my uh, salary <laughs> and i said <laughs> like, and, and i said here says twenty thousand dollars he said I, I get four million dollars that was like Early now, you know, I said, "Well, this the whole movie is costing six hundred thousand, which then was great. Now it's like ridiculous, six hundred thousand. So how you can't get you can get sixty thousand? Maybe we can squeeze seven. He said, "Well, this well then this whole thing is a waste of time." I said, "Oh yeah, if, if it's about making millions of dollars, this doesn't work. If it's about making movies, it, this can be done." And this was. He hasn't made a movie since. He retired. Really? He's one of the most famous filmmakers in America. Um, and um, six hundred thousand, I could make. Now you can make six. Now it's sixty thousand. Yeah. So yeah. so it's uh, and and a lot of that you can borrow equipment and you can make it for you know whatever you can. Yeah. And thank God, it's become a really democratic medium.